Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Bryce. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. If you have a Bible with me, uh, with you, I would love to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. As Ashley said, we are continuing our series called The Unknown God this uh, morning, and we are looking at uh, the words of Jesus as he introduces us to the Holy Spirit. So if you would stand with me, and I'm going to read for us John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And this is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the way that they've been recorded for us and passed down to us through history so that we might uh, understand this morning more fully the way that you are at work uh, with us and in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 please. Well, the question that I want to ask you this morning, my friends, is are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? We are in this series where we are seeking to get to know the third person of the Trinity. We are in this series making our way towards really the climax next week on Pentecost Sunday, where we are going to look at the Holy Spirit coming and filling uh, the church, the believers, on, Holy, uh, on Pentecost Sunday. And so today, as we are marching towards Pentecost, we are looking at what it means when Jesus talks about receiving the Holy Spirit. What does it look like, or what does it, what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? And my conviction is, as we, as we talk about this, that we will understand what Jesus means, and we will experience what He is doing here to, to the extent that we are thirsty that we are thirsty. We will not understand what Jesus means. We will not experience the filling of the Holy Spirit, the reception of the Holy Spirit, unless we know ourselves to be thirsty people. You know, the Gospel of John is full of accounts where Jesus is introducing us to the Holy Spirit, and we've been looking at a number of these passages over the last month or so. One passage we haven't looked at in detail, um, but another one where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit is in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, it says that uh, this takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, is one of the main um, festivals in the Jewish calendar uh, each year. And it's this time where even still uh, Jews today will build a little booth and kind of dwell in it for a week. And it's a, a time when the Jewish people remember uh, God's presence with them in the wilderness as they pass 
from Egypt into the promised land, and God dwelt in their midst in a tabernacle. And so at this feast, um, many things would happen as the Jewish people remembered that God was the one who had provided for them, and God was the one who had given them water in the deserts. And God had shown them that though the kingdom rule of God might appear to be very small, God is always present, and God's presence and power is increasing and expanding throughout history. And so this was a feast that would have taken place in Jerusalem for a week over the period of seven days. And one of the uh, things that happened every year at this feast is the Old Testament scriptures uh, would have been read, and one passage that was always read is Ezekiel 47. And in Ezekiel 47, what's pictured there is the uh, Ezekiel kind of uh, reveals this vision from God of the the, uh, this river that is coming out of the temple of God. And uh, it says that the river comes out and it's just a trickle. And then Ezekiel's told to go back and measure, and he goes back and measures again, and it's ankle deep. And he goes back again, and it's knee deep. And he goes back again, and it's waist deep. And then he goes back the final time, and it says that it is so vast that he couldn't swim across it. Now, he could swim in it, but he couldn't get across it. And it's this picture of the kingdom of God as this ever-expanding river that nourishes the nations. It was a reminder to the Jewish people that though the plan and work of God may appear at any moment to be very small and insignificant, that God is present with us and nothing will stand in the way of his expanding kingdom reign. And so that passage would have been read every year during the Festival of Tabernacles, or booths. And another, th- another thing that happened every year is that the priest would go to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, and he would get a pitcher, and he would fill that pitcher with water, and then he would walk back through the streets of Jerusalem, back to the temple, and he would sort of ceremonially carry this pitcher of water, and then he would pour out the pitcher of water on the great altar in the temple. And that would happen every day for seven days until the great day of the feast, the seventh day of the feast, when a whole host of priests would go together and they would, seven of them would get pitchers of, of water from this pool and they would come back and the seven priests for seven pitchers of water would circle around the altar seven times and on the seventh time they would pour out their pitchers of water on the temple. And as they did so, the priests would say, see, um, see when we were thirsty, God gave us water. And the people would respond by shouting out, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then there would be this moment of silence. And it was in this moment of silence when Jesus stood up and He shouted out, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me. (laughs) You see the audacity of Jesus um, to stand up and to interrupt and to disrupt this festival. Jesus is claiming to be himself the God who provides the water that cools our thirst. And interrupting this festival and everybody's looking at him and saying, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And then he expands. He says, if anyone believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John, as an explanation, 
adds this comment saying that he was referring to the Holy Spirit. So are you thirsty? Because Jesus says, if you are thirsty, come to me and I will cool your thirst. And as I cool your thirst, you won't just receive this water that satisfies your soul, but streams, streams of living water, streams of the Holy Spirit will flow out of you. The Holy Spirit will be in you, and like a river, He will flow through you. So are you thirsty? Of course, there's someone who um, would ask the question, you know, isn't there somebody else who asks, let me say that differently, those words, are you thirsty, bring something else to mind, uh, don't they, for us? Because we've all seen these commercials of the most interesting man in the world. The most interesting man in the world who, of course, is always doing incredible things. And his life is full of adventure. And, and, um, and every commercial ends with the most interesting man in the world sitting around a table surrounded usually by beautiful women with a dose Equis in his hand. And he asks the question, or, he, or he, he gives the instruction, rather, stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty. And we live in this time where we try to cool our thirst with, with so many things, with so much stuff, believing that our souls will be satisfied with the luxury and comfort that money can buy. And we are in danger of thinking of Jesus' job as simply the one who is there to enable us to live comfortable and luxurious lives. But Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. And I am the one who will give you the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to cool your thirst, and he will be in you, and he will flow through you. So let me ask you again, are you thirsty? Because that is the necessary ingredient to benefit from this passage. Because the promise of Jesus in John 7, that the Holy Spirit will be in you and out of you will flow rivers of living water is fulfilled in John 20. If you are thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and the Holy Spirit will be in you and when he is in you, streams of living water will flow from you. So look with me at the words of Jesus in John 20, where Jesus shows us what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? It was the evening of the very first Easter Sunday. And Jesus' followers are gathered together and they have just had the worst weekend of their lives. They have followed Jesus for three years. They have thought that Jesus was running for president and that they were going to, you know, look like Jesus was going to win. And so they were going to be in his cabinet. They were about to enter glory. And instead, on Thursday night, Jesus broke bread and said, I'm about to leave you. And then, on, and then he was arrested and then he was crucified on Friday night. And they have uh, spent the weekend together uh, in this locked room, presumably, they've been hiding from the Jews because they're afraid that they're going to be persecuted. They've realized that they have wasted their lives in following Jesus, and they are absolutely crushed. And then they wake up on Sunday morning, the Easter Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday morning, and they begin to hear these rumors that Jesus is alive again, and that he has appeared to them, and so they gather together, but they lock the doors because they're afraid of the Jews. 
And it says that as they're gathered together in this locked room, that Jesus appeared in their midst to reassure them and to commission them and to empower them. The first thing that we see is that Jesus reassures his followers. He shows up in this room with the doors locked. He appears and he says to his followers, peace be with you. Now, many uh, scholars, every commentary I looked at this week uh, points out that peace be with you is sort of this standard greeting. It'd be like saying, hey, what's up? How you doing? Um, (laughs) Nobody would have really thought much of it. But Jesus repeats again, peace be with you. And it begins to sink in. Shalom. Not just the absence of hostility, not just the absence of war or riots or whatever, but the deep peace, the the, the sense that God will bring everything to fullness and rightness and completion has now been fulfilled. Jesus has walked into this room saying that the shalom of God is now here. And it says that he shows them his hands and his side. And they see the wounds of his crucifixion. And it is beginning to dawn on them what Jesus has been saying to them all along. They're beginning to understand what seems so unbelievable that the victory of God would come through the death of the crucified Messiah. By his scars we were healed. And it says that they were glad when they saw him. He comes to reassure them. But secondly, he comes not just to reassure them, he comes to commission them. In the same breath, Jesus having just reassured his followers with the words, peace be with you, in this very same breath, he commissions his followers. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, Jesus says. He sends his followers into the world to continue his work. And if you have been reading this, uh, translate, you know, the John 20 in, in the Latin, that word send is the word missio. The, the risen Jesus has a mission for his followers, for his church. This is why if you're reading the book of Acts, as we'll be looking at next week, it says the book of Acts begins by Luke, the author of Acts, saying, in my first book, I began to report all the things that Jesus began to do. In the book of Luke, he begins talking about all the things that Jesus began to do. What's the implication? The implication is that in the book of Acts, Luke is going to continue to tell all the things that Jesus continued to do, but Acts begins with Jesus ascending into heaven. So how is Jesus doing this? Jesus is continuing to carry out his mission through the church, through his, his followers, throughout the book of Acts. As he ascends to the Father... Jesus continues the mission he began by sending the Holy Spirit to not only live in us, but through us to continue the work that Jesus began to do. And so the question for us is this, are you a part of that mission? Are you a part of that mission? Or maybe a more pointed way to ask that same question is this, do you know that Jesus is going to mess up your plans? (laughs) Just like Jesus stood up on the great day of the feast and said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus is going to come into your life and he is going to mess up your plans. Jesus is saying here, I am the rock from which the water flowed in the desert. And the water that you need is the Holy Spirit. 
And if the Spirit is in you, then the Spirit will flow through you as well. Friends, the problem, the problem with Christianity in our time is that for many Christians, we think of the mission of God as sort of an elective. Or maybe like the honors class that the really spiritual Christians get into. You know, the missionaries, the pastors, these handful of, you know, super dedicated people at any church that seem to be really passionate about, about God. These are the people who carry out the mission of God. But as we're going to look at in more detail next week, the Holy Spirit fills all believers. Uh, all of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have received the Holy Spirit, are commissioned by Jesus to carry out His mission. Let me just ask you this, you know, if you would say to yourself, well, sure, I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not involved in this mission thing. Where exactly are you following Jesus? Because this is where Jesus is leading us. He's leading us on his mission in the world. So what sense does it mean to, to, what sense does it make to say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I am not following him on mission because that's the only place that he is going all who believe in Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just the super-Christians. All believers are filled with the Spirit. And because we cannot contain the Spirit, the Spirit who is in us must flow through us as well. I wonder if you know the name Mo Berg. Mo Berg was one of the worst baseball players in history. Mo Berg had a very unique resume for a baseball player. He graduated from Princeton University and Columbia Law School. He spoke several languages, and he regularly read 10 newspapers every day. He was considered uh, the brainiac of professional baseball in the middle of the 20th century. Though he played for 15 years in the majors, Moberg was never more than an average baseball player at best. So why in the world did a mediocre at best player get to play in the majors for 15 years? Well, it's because Moberg had a mission. Moberg traveled with uh, baseball teams around the world. He twice went to uh, Japan in the 1930s for baseball. And while he was there, he captured panoramic footage of Tokyo that was later believed to have been used by the Allies in their 1942 bombing raid on Japan. Mo Berg worked for the Office of Strategic Services, which we know better as the CIA, as a spy. Mo Berg went everywhere because of his day job. As a baseball player, he went to Yugoslavia, and he went to Italy, and while he was there, he did reconnaissance on the Nazis' nuclear weapons development program. His day job took him everywhere, but everywhere he went, he had a deeper mission. And so it is with you, and so it is with me. You may work in finance, you may be a lawyer or a small business owner, you may be a teacher or a parent, Whatever it is you are doing, everywhere you go, you have a deeper mission. You have been commissioned by Jesus. The peace that cools your thirst is not only in you, but it flows through you everywhere you go as an agent of the mission of Jesus in this world.
So are you a part of that mission? Are we in the river? Are we thirsty? What would it look like for us to be engaged in that mission? Well, there's a lot of things we could say about that, but let me just suggest three things based on our study of the Holy Spirit over the last several weeks that would be true of us if we were a part of this mission. If we were a part of this mission, if we were standing in this ever-expanding river of God that flows into us to cool our thirst but flows through us as a river of living water, if we were a part of that mission, then the first thing that is true is that we would be passionate about Jesus. We would be passionate about Jesus. One of the things that we've seen repeatedly in this series is that the role of the Holy Spirit is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. Everything the Holy Spirit does is about glorifying and honoring and highlighting the ministry of Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit in us and flowing through us that is going to cause us to be people who are passionate about Jesus ourselves. Um, We would be people who can talk freely about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done in our lives, about what he is teaching us. It wouldn't be simply the domain of the professional Christians to be people who know how to speak about Jesus. But rather, as the prophet Joel said, as, as Peter quotes on Pentecost Sunday, the prophet Joel had said this, It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. It is all of us upon whom the spirit has been poured out, who are called to be people who can speak about Jesus. We would be passionate about Jesus. Secondly, if we're in the river, then we would be a church. uh, If we're a church that's connected to the mission of Jesus, it means that we would see people coming to faith in Jesus. And one of the constant things we see throughout the book of Acts as the ministry of the Holy Spirit is narrated for us is that people are regularly meeting Jesus for the first time. And if we are a church that would go for a year or longer without seeing people come to faith in Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, what in the world are we doing here? But thirdly, we would be people who repent regularly of our sin. We saw a couple weeks ago that the Holy Spirit, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And if the Holy Spirit has worked in us to convict us of our sin and to set us free by pointing us to Christ, then we would become people who confess our sin freely and regularly. One of my favorite questions to ask people who are sort of aspiring to leadership in ministry is, could you tell me about a time when you have recently apologized to someone? Because it is one thing to be a theoretical sinner and confess, I believe Jesus died in general for my sin, but it is another thing to have been convicted of specific sin of which we repent. I think that the way that somebody answers that question tells us a great deal about the amount of time, their their familiarity with the ministry of Jesus. Friends, you know this. We live in an anxious time. 
when tensions are high, when you sort of have to watch your words no matter where you are speaking, or I guess you could just write off everybody and say, I don't care what you think. But we live in this time when tensions are high and in an anxious world, followers of Jesus, those who are connected to the mission of Jesus, would be people who go out into the world not to spout our opinions about how wrong everybody else is. We would be people who are far more concerned about what is wrong with us and in us. Are we on mission? Let me just say this, Resurrection of Sea, we are living through a great reset. We are living in a time where everything we thought was that we thought was normal has been put on pause. And a time is coming when we will have the choice to go back to the way things were. And my hope and prayer for us is that we would not just go back to the way things were. And so we are going to have a choice. There's going to be a time. I don't know when it's coming exactly. Maybe weeks still. But a time is coming when we will be able to regather again as a church. And I think the worst thing that we could do is simply go back to the way things were in, I don't know, November 2019. So a time is coming when we will need to have a conversation as a church about who we are going to be going forward. Are we, going to, uh, are we going to move forward as spiritual consumers? Or are we going to move forward together on mission? And who is going to be a part of carrying on the work of mission with us? It's a real question we are going to have to face together as a church. If the peace of Christ has found you, then you have been commissioned to carry on the work of Jesus in the world. Thirdly, Jesus not only reassures, Jesus not only commissions, but he also empowers. How in the world are you and I going to carry out the mission of Jesus in our time? How are we going to do that? Well, look at verse 22. It says, after he had commissioned them, Jesus breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. That's pretty weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> isn't it I mean that would be weird even in normal times but like now when we're kind of going okay we want to go back to our somewhat normal lives but the one thing we need to be sure we don't do is breathe on anybody <laughs> this picture of Jesus breathing on them what in the world is Jesus doing well do you remember all the way back in Genesis 2 when it says that God created the first uh, man and, and, and what it says is that the Lord God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and, and you can picture God kind of forming this, this, you know, dust statue. What's he got? He's got this statue, this really well-made statue. But that's all it is. It's like an empty mannequin. And then it says that the Lord God breathed into his nostrils. And the, the life came into Adam. And he got up and he was alive. God breathed the ruach, the the breath, the spirit of God into Adam, and he comes to life. And here, Jesus is breathing that same ruach, or pneuma, the breath of God, the spirit of God, and it enters into those who believe in Jesus, and Jesus is giving new life to his followers. We need 
a power that will match the mission that Jesus has called us to. And in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is giving us the power to sustain the mission that he has called us to. Friends, do you sense your profound need for the Holy Spirit? Are we thirsty people? I mean, does a part of us believe if we just had a little bit more money, a few more people, we could just buy some more like Facebook ads and like then the ministry of Jesus would really go to the next level. We kind of have human resources. We just need a little bit more. Or are we looking around going, this is what Jesus has called us to do? How in the world are we going to pull that off? See, friends, it's only when we sense our desperation that we will begin to cry out for the Holy Spirit. We need a power to match the mission. Perhaps the reason that we don't sense the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we actually have a very low view of the mission that God has called us to. And with a low view of God's mission, we can sort of uh, imagine human ways of carrying it out. Or we can say it's not really that important, so let's leave it to those with more time. And we have an anemic experience of the Holy Spirit as a result. Do you know the mission that God has called you to? Does that drive you to prayer? Do you know the first time you see the apostles, the disciples, these ten men that are in this room with Jesus? Do you know the first time you see them pray in, uh, in the New Testament? Fascinating. You know, they've asked Jesus. Jesus teaches how to pray. Jesus has taught them how to pray. Jesus has told them to pray. Uh, Jesus said, you wait here, I'm going to go over here, you pray for me. And when he comes back, they're asleep. You know, they've received instruction, they've been told, they've been commanded to pray. We never see them pray until in Acts 1, 50 days after this account that we're reading about today in John 20, the disciples, they are with the resurrected Jesus. And their old ideas that Jesus is running for presidents and they are going to become the cabinet are coming back into their minds and, and they're saying, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And you can think Peter, he's like, this is going to be awesome because Jesus has already died. They can't kill again, I don't think. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you are going to carry on my mission in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they're like, yes, finally! And then Jesus begins to float up into the heavens and leave. And then they're like, oh great. <laughs> How are we going to get this done? They have a God-given mission with no resources to carry it out. And so they begin to pray. And they're gathered in the upper room, and they are praying when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit fills the room, and He fills the people, and then they go out into the city, and they fill the city. It's only when they sense the size of their mission and their lack of human resources to carry it out that they begin to call out for and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Rivers of water begin to flow. We need a power to match the mission 
So are we in the river? Resurrection of sea, who are we going to be as we regather? One of the things that is true throughout church history is that those who have been mightily used by God are people every single time who sense their need for the Holy Spirit. You can go all the way back in, in church history to the church fathers, the early theologians and pastors who led the church, and there was a guy named Irenaeus, and Irenaeus wrote this great work called Against Heretics, which means all Irenaeus thought he was doing was combating people who were trying to take down the church with lies. And Irenaeus wrote, for where the church is, there's the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there is the church and all of her graces. Martin Luther wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And um, in that song, he wrote these lyrics, The Spirit and the gifts are ours, through Him who with us sighted. It's the Spirit of God at work in the church, in the Reformation. And then even more recently, surely there are countless examples, but just to really freak everybody out. In the early 20th century, if you had been in London, if you had been maybe in, in the poor sections in the slums of London, you, may have, you might have encountered a group of people who were walking around talking about Jesus in army uniforms, and they were going around singing, O oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Your blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire today. Look down and see this waiting host and send the promised Holy Ghost. We need another Pentecost. Send the fire today. The Salvation Army was not a calm group of people, but they were convinced that if Jesus was going to make himself known in that time and place, that they needed the Holy Spirit. Those who God has used mightily are people who are acutely aware of their need for the Holy Spirit. So what about you? What about me? Are you thirsty? I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. And I'm going to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer. Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, would you fill us again? As the Apostle Paul says, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, whatever you call us, we will go. Wherever you lead us, we will follow. Would you take our hands? Would you take our hearts? Would you take our minds? And breathe on us, O oh Spirit of God. We live in such a hopeless and helpless world. And yet, Jesus, in the middle of this once in a generation interruption, we have a choice. We can respond with fear, with anxiety. We can point the finger at someone, anyone. 
where we can, like millions of followers of Jesus around the world, experience this as an opportunity. An opportunity to be humbled. An opportunity to say, God, don't waste this. Holy Spirit, would you not only be in us, would you flow through us? That Orange County might be a different place in six months or 18 months or 20 years because of what you have done, Holy Spirit. Would you use the Resurrection OC and the thousands of other churches in Orange County fill us that we might fill this place. This is not too hard for you. So we look to you with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.